So we're going to be looking at the Christmas story, uh, Christmas story today. You might notice that we're a little bit understaffed today, a little bit uh, more minimalistic. Um, we just thought that since the, during these next couple of weeks, uh, the stouts are going to be out, we thought we'd take it a little bit easier. So um, apologies if it's a little, it seems a little bit um, different, but we're just trying to keep it a little more simple and easy. Today we're going to talk about Christmas, and before I start my message, I want to ask, um, have you guys ever had a very planned schedule? Uh, you had an expectation for the day, or for the week, or for a year, but then something just juts in and disrupts that plan. That happens all the time, right? You know, that might happen for your things about career, or school, or expectations for the future, but honestly, it might even happen every day. You have a planned expectation for the day, and then something just juts in and disrupts it, right? <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about God's holy disruption. We're going to be talking about the Christmas story as God's holy disruption. And to kind of illustrate Christmas time disruption, I want to tell a story. A couple summers ago, I went to Georgia to go to a wedding. So after a long night I was there, after you know, hanging out, socializing, I made this crazy decision where after the wedding, or it was around midnight, um, I had the plank to go back home in the morning. So instead of booking a hostel or anything like that, I just decided to sleep at the airport. That way I could save some money and just stay there. I just want to say something, never choose to sleep at an airport. It was one of the most miserable experiences I've ever had. Um, the lights were on, it was blaring, the AC was on, it was extremely cold, and the chairs all had these metal armrests, so I couldn't even lie down. It was absolutely miserable. I got there, it was like midnight, I was there with my friends, and we're like, all right, you know, let's do the best we can to sleep. But we find our terminal, we get down there, and we try to sleep. And the entire area with the many different terminals is all empty, so okay, at least we have that. And so as I'm sitting there trying to sleep, trying to get some shut-eye, I notice in the distance, I see a middle-aged Latino woman walk down the aisle. And I'm thinking, okay, well, there's many terminals, right? She probably won't come to my terminal, right? But sure enough, she looks around, and she comes over to the terminal that my friend and I are at. Okay, but, but she's probably tired too, right? She, she's not gonna sit next to us, right? But sure enough, even though there's a lot of empty rows, she comes over and sits right next to me. Oh my god. So okay, it's midnight. Oh, but then she starts to talk and starts to try to interact and socialize with me. I, I'm so tired. It's like midnight dance and, and socializing. I just don't want to talk. It's not because I don't care. I'm just, I'm just so tired. But as she's talking, I just feel this, the, the spirit just speaking to me, just this pounding in my chest that from all the things that we've learned here at Mosaic about God loving every single person and just remembering all the times that people have loved me, God was just stirring within me that God loves this woman. And so, okay, fine, God, uh, I'll go along. So she's talking, I'm just listening. I'm just kind of sitting there just going, yeah, mm -hmm, going along. I'm not really putting much effort into the conversation, but I'm listening, I'm trying to listen. But after a while, she starts to change the subject, and she talk, starts talking about her daughter. She starts to share that she actually was in Georgia, she, she was dropping off her daughter at a camp. And I could tell she was feeling anxious. Her tone changed. She was just kind of just really worried about her daughter. And really, this it was just this, a, a time where her a mother was separated from her beloved daughter. And as I was listening to that, 
I spoke up and I said, hey, um, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. So I gently laid my hand on her shoulder and I prayed for her. I prayed for peace and assurance for her heart. I prayed for protection for her daughter. I just kept praying, just really wanted to pray for her. And as I was praying, she started to shake, she started to sniffle, and then she just started to cry. She just burst out just crying. I was praying for her. And after, after I was done praying, she thanked me, and I gave her some tissues to wipe up her tears. And I was just so shocked. I mean, what a disruption. In this very moment, God was ministering to this woman. At a time where she was feeling deep anxiety, at a time where she was transitioning and letting go of her daughter, God was giving her a newfound peace in this time. And he did it by disrupting my plans. I didn't want to talk. I wanted to sleep. I didn't want to do anything with this. But God stepped in and disrupted my plans so that this woman could have a newfound peace. After we're done, we all settled down and... <laughs> She asked for my suit jacket so that she could uh, use it as a blanket. I felt like I couldn't catch a break here. I prayed, I done everything. But finally, she took the suit jacket and she fell asleep, and I was able to get some shut-eye after, too. Today, we're going to talk about the Christmas story as a holy disruption. Um, I want to make this bold claim that as we read the Christmas story, as God is stepping into the sinful world, as I was studying this text, I, was, I realized this, this text is very much about Jesus, was very much not about Jesus, too. And what I mean is that the author of, of Matthew, the text we're going to read today, spends a lot of time looking at the characters surrounding Jesus, the birth of Jesus. And so I want to ask this question as we look into this text. How are the surrounding characters surrounding Jesus, how are they responding to God's holy disruption? And that will give us a clue. That will help us to understand how we can respond to the Christmas story today. So I believe we should have the text up on the PowerPoint. You can look inside your Bibles too. I'm going to be flipping to it. On page 855. We're going to be starting in chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going, to, I'm going to read this in sections, but we're going to read all the way through. I'm going to read first uh, from verses 18 to the end of the chapter. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So, we don't really know too much about Mary and Joseph. We kind of just get thrust into the story. And if anything, the beginning of the chapter just links this lineage of 
girlfriend Abraham who we've been talking about for the past few weeks, all the way to David to be exiled to Joseph. And so really, from this account, we just think that you know Joseph and Mary are this normal Jewish couple. They're just living their lives. And all of a sudden, they get thrust into this scandalous situation where Mary is pregnant out of wedlock. So there's implications here. I might not say them out loud with the kids here, right? But there's this issue where Mary is pregnant, not with Joseph, right? So it seems like there's a scandal, there's a, there's a cheating situation or something like that, right? And so for Joseph, he can respond in multiple ways. He can feel betrayed. He can feel emotionally betrayed that, oh, I, I was faithful to my wife, but my, no, or my fiancé my fiance was not faithful to me, and all these kind of things. And he can also have exposed her to rabbinic law which in some situations would have put her to death, or if anything, at least would have cast her into social shame in the community. But Joseph, with good intentions, actually wants to protect his fiancée and wants to divorce her quietly. And at this moment, even though despite the good intention, God steps in and disrupts the plan and says, Joseph, don't do that. Joseph, I know you have good intentions, I know what you're trying to do here, but I'm going to reveal to you what's happening here. I'm going to fulfill my prophecy through you, you don't understand, but actually that baby that's inside Mary, she's, that baby is going to be the savior of the world, the Messiah. The Messiah that the, your people have been waiting for for hundreds of years, I'm finally bringing it into fruition. I'm finally bringing the Messiah. And at this moment, I want to point out two things. First, God is on the move. God is on the move. The Christmas story about how God is fulfilling his promises, he's stepping into a consistently sinful world to disrupt its sinful course and bring it back home. There's no warning. God just appears, and he's suddenly moving his plan forward. But then we see a second aspect. We see with the surrounding characters. We see with Mary and Joseph that God is disrupting their expectations. Mary and Joseph didn't ask to be the, the parents of the Savior. They just want to probably have a normal Jewish life, to have a family, to live a long life, and have kids and grandkids, right? Their expectations were just to have a family and to live a normal Jewish life. And all of a sudden, God disrupts it. God takes their expectations for a child. God takes their expectations for a family. And he completely disrupts it and throws it out and puts it something new. And how does Joseph and Mary respond? They submit. It says at the end, that Joseph submits, he follows the instructions, and he goes along. The Luke account, the other one that we read earlier, talks more about Mary, how she is also in a submissive point. And both of them, both Mary and Joseph, receive this news, this disruptive news, and choose to submit to it. But that's not the only response we're going to see here today. And as we read on, we're going to see, as God is doing his holy disruption, how are other people responding to this Christmas story? So let's read on. I'm going to read the next nine verses in chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star as it's rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. At Bethlehem of Judea, they told them, because this is what has been written by the prophet. Of you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search care, uh, carefully for the child, and when you find them, report back to me so that I too may go, uh, I too can go and worship him. You can pause right there. <laughs> when I was studying this text, I just thought it was, I just thought it was so funny that Jesus is born and that's it, right? <laughs> Matthew doesn't actually put too much emphasis on Jesus' birth. And, and I'm not saying that's not important, but I think Matthew is still focused on saying, you know, Jesus is born, God is disrupting his plans. And how are his people going to respond? And in this text we see right here, we see something very different. In verse 3, we see that Herod is deeply disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. This word deeply disturbed, I wanted to learn more about it. So I looked into the Greek and wanted to see how is this word used in other places. It's used in two other ways. One is a, a sense of deep emotional anxiety, deep emotional turmoil. When it's used in other parts of the Bible, it describes, you know, sense of betrayal, anxiety. It's just, internally, they're just doing so much uh, turmoil and anxiety. There's another place where it's used, where it's it's described as something that's being stirred. So it's described how crowds are being stirred, and they're they're rising together to riot. Or how there's a peaceful water, but it's stirred, and it's moved. And I think both ways you can describe Herod. Because here he is, the political king, the one who's advancing his career, one who's made it, who has power and wealth and status. And all of a sudden, it gets disrupted. He gets stirred, and it causes deep anxiety for him. These wise men from the east, these mysterious wise men appear and say, there's another king, we're trying to find him. And he gets disturbed right here. So that one seems pretty straightforward, but the more interesting, for me at least, was why was Jerusalem disturbed? Shouldn't they be expecting a king, a messiah? They're waiting for so many hundreds of years for a savior. Why are they disturbed? And we see here that they gather together all the religious people, people who have studied the law, studied the the prophecies, and they're able to name them so easily. These are the religious people. Those who are strong, they know, they read their Bible, they go to church, and they tithe every time. These are the people who should be receiving the news, right? These are the good people. These are the people that God should be speaking to. And yet, God doesn't. Well, God actually speaks first, and he's actually sending these wise men from the east. Now, some, some translations call them magi in the Luke. And so what we don't know too much about them, but we can guess that they're actually Gentile astrologers, these pagan astrologers from the east. And the east has this connotation of being, you know, like uh, pagan, gross, weird. You know, not, we're not going to associate with those people. Those are the irreligious people, the pagans. And so for God to actually be using those people to bring in the message of a savior, I mean, that's disruptive. That's different. And it disrupts the religious people. And so in this moment, we see two things again. We see an echo of prophecy. We saw a prophecy that was fulfilled before when we are talking about Mary and Joseph, right? And here again, the prophecy is being fulfilled. And so he's showing this point that Again, God is on the move. God is fulfilling his plans, and he cannot be stopped. And he's revealing, he's going forward. In this sinful world, with political system, religious system, and power, and, and corruption, God is stepping into this consistently sinful world to disrupt its sinful course. But how are the people going to respond? The second point is we see that God's holy disruption is not according to our expectations. 
It's not according to Herod's political or career expectations. It's not according to the religious people's expectations. And how does Herod respond? I just want to focus on Herod. He responds with anxiety. He responds with control. Instead of letting go, instead of listening and trying to humble himself, he holds on tighter to what he has and drives him to deeper anxiety, drives him to tell lies, and drives him to do these things in secret. It just shows that he's trying to control and trying to hold on to the things that he has. And we're not going to go into the text later, but it drives him so far that he massacres little uh, the boys that are under the age of two. And we see here that in God's holy disruption, we see a different, very different response that Herod is holding on to his own kingdom, his own ways, at the detriment of himself and other people. It's, it's the same holy disruption. We have two very different responses. Mary and Joseph, they submit. It disrupts their plans, their expectations for their family, but they submit. For Herod and Jerusalem, they get deeply anxious, deeply alarmed, and Herod holds on. He's not willing to let go, and he hurts other people, and he hurts himself. Let's finish the story with the next three verses. Starting with verse 9, let's focus on the last party, the, the, the wise men, the magi. After hearing the king, they went on their way, verse 9, and there it was, the star they had seen as it's rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. We're going to stop here for the text today. And I just want to just conclude with focusing on the wise men. <laughs> I really like the wise men. I, I kind of get this picture where like everyone's like freaking out in Jerusalem, all kind of stuff, but they're just going along on their way. They say, okay, sure, you know what's over there? I mean, they're not focused on expectations and political systems. They saw They're not focused on controlling their kingdoms or anything like that. They just want to witness God. That's their motive. They just want to go and witness God. And so they go along and they find the uh, find Jesus, and it says that they're overwhelmed with joy. I was curious about this phrase, too, and I looked into the Greek, and it's, it's really redundant. The little translation is, they rejoiced with great, exceedingly joy. They rejoiced with joy. Or they rejoiced with very, very, very much joy. It's just completely redundant, but it's just a, a show that they finally found him, the king of the Jews. They're here, and they're overwhelmed with joy. And when we look at this picture, we see a very wholesome, wonderful picture where they didn't come to control the, the, the baby or to strike a bargain or a deal or even to kill it. They come here just to submit and worship. Not just that, but to give gifts. They say, you are the king. We, we might be Gentile astrologers, we might be smart and all kinds of things, but in this moment, we want to give gifts to this newborn baby. What I love, too, is that Mary and Joseph here, they show no form of tension. Again, these are Gentile astrologers, these pagan people. Like, who are these people? Why are they here? I mean, these are not your usual guests to a newborn baby, right? You usually have your friends and your family here, a nice thing. But then you've got these Gentile astrologers. 
And then the Luke account that we read earlier, you have these low-class, dirty shepherds who are hanging out with these farm animals that are gross. I mean, this is a very diverse group. And yet, Mary and Joseph welcome them all. They welcome them, and it says that Mary treasures it in, their, in her heart, right? And at this moment, we see, we see what God is doing here. At this moment, God is already beginning his work of the gospel. That we see echoed throughout this time where God is bringing a diverse group of people, Jews, Gentiles, low class, high class, all these kind of educational backgrounds, bringing them all together around one central figure, Jesus. And we see that echoed even to today as our church mosaic, right? A diverse group of people come around all together around one central figure. Because it's not about the boundaries of who's in and out. It's not about who's religious or not, or this or that, but the political system, religious system. It's all about one central figure that all these people are coming around together, around Jesus. We see two things again. God is on the move. God is very much in this moment. And we see a parallel where God's protecting these people, and they, he reveals himself in a dream. To the, to, Matt, to the Gentiles, right? Just like he revealed the dream to uh, Joseph, he did the same thing for the Magi. We see that God is on the move. He's stepping into this sinful, sinful world, and he's disrupting the sinful course. And the second thing is that we see that he's doing it, um, he's disrupting our expectations. Despite all the cultural expectations, the cultural barriers, the Jewish bar traditions and barriers, the religious barriers, God is breaking those. God is disrupting our expectations in order to fulfill his promise in a holy disruption. So as I close or kind of conclude from this text, I want to ask us here as individuals, as a church here today, how are we going to respond to God's holy disruption? How are we going to respond to the Christmas story, which is about God who loved us so much and he's going to step into the sinful world to disrupt its sinful past and to put on flesh so that he can relate to flesh like us? How are we going to respond? Are we going to be like Mary and Joseph and submit? Or are we going to be like Herod and hold on to our plans? Or are we going to be people who are overwhelmed with joy to witness God and to give? Or we're going to be like Herod, who's deeply disturbed and anxious and holds on to what he has. God is a moving mountain. He cannot be stopped. And we, if you continue to read the Echoes of Matthew, we see more and more prophecies fulfilled. God cannot be stopped. That's not, a, that's not the question here. The question is, how are we going to respond? As that moving mountain is coming towards us, are we going to move with it? Are we going to partner alongside God and move along in God's holy disruption, in his healing, in his restoration of this world? Or are we going to collide straight into him and fight against him and be crushed by this moving mountain? I'll tell one last story and then we'll conclude the message for today. Um, I'll tell a story about how I first joined Mosaic. Because it's a great story about the holy disruption. I was uh, serving at my, uh, my campus fellowship at NYU a few years ago. And I was in it. I was like three years into it. I was a leader. I was like, I was loving it. And I was very much fixated upon 
growing here, developing leaders, and this is my community. And I've grown so prominent that I actually started a new club, a club that was focused on uh, Christian philosophy and apologetics, that kind of stuff. And that club had partnerships with an East Village church called Rafiz. That church then sent two people over to help out. These two people were, who were like these uh, Southern Baptist people who would come to start a church. And okay, cool, it's fine. I, you know, they, they're here just to support. I learned their names. Oh, Steven, Sonia. Okay, nice to meet you. Um, and so they started to help out with the club. And so we got to know each other, we hung out there. Um, and eventually, they asked me to come over to have dinner with them. And I kind of knew what they were going to do. I had heard that they wanted to start a church here in Brooklyn, all this kind of thing. And, you know, I, I wanted to be nice. They were helping out with my club. I wanted to be polite. But I was just way too involved in my college, fam uh, my college campus fellowships and what I was doing there. So I'll go over, sure. I'd be polite, but, you know, I was going to say no. <laughs> I mean, I had too much to do. So I took the train, the four train, deep into Brooklyn. I never been the last stop in Brooklyn. Where am I? Like, Crown Heights? What is, what is this place? Well, I'm like, well, it's not Manhattan. This is very different. I walk out, I finally find a place. I step in, and they welcome me. They give me dinner, and we have a great time. We chat. And all my expectations at this point was just to say no. Be polite, talk to them, and just say no. But God had another plan. And as Steve and his son were sharing their vision from Mosaic, as they were sharing how they wanted to be a church that was insular, not a bubble, but actually a missional church, one that went out there and welcomed people from all different backgrounds, one that was not a church that was for themselves, but wanted to bless the community, to engage the community in a very down-to-earth, grassroots way, I was just overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with their vision, their love, and just the opportunity to be part of something bigger, part of a church plant. In a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a neighborhood that had history of racial tension. And at that moment, my expectations were completely dashed and thrown out the window. And I said yes. I said yes to their vision. I said yes to being part of their church plan. And here I am four years later, <laughs> still going along alongside Woodley and all alongside you know, all of us. <laughs> Woodley beat me, though. He was, the, he was the first one asked. I was the second one asked. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all almost got it, but. <laughs> no, good grace. <laughs> yeah, I was second place, but that's okay. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I just want to illustrate that story. That, that story is very intimate to me. The airport story, the, the mosaic story. I just want to share that, hey, we're not all perfect, right? And deep down inside of us, we all struggle. We all struggle to submit. But I hope that even in that struggle, and that as we're struggling together as a family, that we as a church can choose to be like Mary and Joseph and the Magi, the wise men. That we choose to process and rethink, okay, is this disruptive? You know, some disruptions are sinful, some disruptions are from the world. But some disruptions are from God. And maybe as a church, we can process them and help each other and work together about seeing what is God doing inside our church and our community. Maybe something totally unexpected. Maybe he's bringing something new, a new people, a new, new something. And we can welcome in God's holy disruption into our church. Because I think that would be a continuation of the Christian story that we see in Matthew. Hey, let us be pray for us as we close. Father God, we just thank you that you have stepped into this world. That you did not, you had every right actually. You had every right to leave us be. We had, we had,
have nothing legitimate to offer you except our sin, our brokenness. But you still step into this world to be humbled as a baby, to grow up just like us, to know what it feels like, and then to die on the cross for us. God, you are an amazing God. We are humbled by your love for us. So I pray that right now you'd be stirring inside of our hearts. You'd be causing a holy disruption inside of our hearts right now so that we would submit to you. We would realize, wow, you, God, you, you are an awesome and loving God, and we want to work alongside you. We want to step and, and move with you in your prophecies and your promises and your plan for this community and this church and for our friends and family. I want to pray a blessing for everyone here today. I don't know what everyone's Christmas plans are, maybe they stay or they go back home, but I pray that wherever they go, that they will be able to bring a blessing to wherever they, they are around them. And I pray that as disruptions happen, that they will have a peace, a peace that you are taking care of them. No matter where they go, no matter what heritage here in their life, that you are taking care of them. We thank you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I did forget one thing. Uh, if you have the response cards, I did offer some possible um, applications in the back. Um, there's three different options. One of them is to just accept and to humble ourselves. That's basically response of Mary and Joseph. You want to check that off. The second one is to uh, repent. Uh, I think the second or third one is to repent. Um, and to, because we all recognize that part of our lives we've been like Herod. So if that's an option that you want to respond with, to repent of our Herodness, that can be an option that you respond with. I think another one is to be a blessing. Um, maybe you can actually be a holy disruption to wherever Christmas kind of gathering that you are, maybe you receive, and you want to act as God's holy disruption to bless or uh, love other people, that could be a response too. And in the fourth option, um, was it a lighthearted one? But let's rejoice. Let's be happy. This is a joyful season, right? You know, let's not let anything rob us of the joy of Christmas. And so let's be overwhelmed with joy that Jesus is living amongst us today. You can take a moment to do that. You can uh, also put down your prayer request here too. Um, ask for holy disruption in your life. Um, you can fill that out, and later we're going to put that in the offering. Amen. I believe now we're going to respond with a worship song. Um, I'll invite Sean back up.